Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. It's time for From the Short Grass with Trey Schaap, a golf podcast for those who love golf, struggle with golf, and just like to enjoy the outdoors and fellowship with friends, all while chasing a ball around trying to put it in a four and a quarter inch diameter hole. From the Short Grass is brought to you by Blackman Auctions. For over 80 years, better auctions have always been Blackman Auctions. By MinnowsPlus.com. From baits to waiters, if it helps you catch a fish, they have it. And now, from the Short Grass, here is your host, Trey Schaap. Welcome to another edition of From the Short Grass. I am Trey Schaap. Have I got a treat for you today? I was able to spend some time with Carl Jackson, the legendary caddy from Augusta National Golf Club, who caddied for Ben Crenshaw 39 times, including both times that he won the Masters Tournament in 1984 and 1995. There's a lot of information in this interview with Mr. Jackson. Real quick, from the short grass, sponsored in part by Blackman Auctions. Since 1938, better auctions have been Blackman Auctions. You can find them on the web at blackmanauctions.com. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, Carl Jackson is on the tee. Minnows Plus is your local source for live bait and live well supplies. They carry the entire line of SureLife products, everything from better bait and finer shiner to no ammonia products to keep your bait and your catch thriving till you get back to the dock. They are the best source for all your private land ponds. Minnows Plus has fish food and pond fertilizer to keep your pond healthy and thriving all year long. If you own or run a bait and tackle shop and need to resupply, contact Minnows Plus and ask about their wholesale prices. Open to the public and walk-ins are welcome. Find them on the web at minnowsplus.com. This is Thomas Blackman with Blackman Auctions. Me sponsoring a golf show is great irony. I've been a phenomenally bad golfer for 30 years. I don't know the difference between a penalty area and a bunker. I like it, but I'm really bad. You listen to this show and to Trey because he's a great golfer and knows the game backwards and forwards. I know auctions like Trey knows golf. I've been a professional auctioneer for 30 years. I know auctions. Trey knows golf. Listen to the correct expert. Call me to learn about auctions, not Trey. Since 1938, better auctions are Blackman Auctions. Welcome back to From the Short Grass. In true Masters tradition, there's only one way to introduce our next guest. Four, please. Carl Jackson, now driving. Mr. Jackson, thanks for coming on From the Short Grass. It's good to see you. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fine, uh, Trey. Uh, Everything's going well with me in my life right now. Well, you look great. I want to go back. You grew up right next to the Augusta Country Club. Yes. In Augusta, Georgia. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that was your introduction to the game of golf. Yes. Um, I walked two blocks down the hill, down the street to the end of a street called Delano Street in, in my hometown. And that was a fence, fencing off the golf course. We could see the golfers going in and playing, playing the 16th hole and headed, you know, finishing up on their round. And I just got interested when I when I could see other guys just a little older than I am but they was out there caddying and making money so and you come from a family that you didn't have a whole lot growing up single single parent um the second of nine kids it was kind of 
It's kind of tough. So you knew you had to do something to help the family out. Yes, I did. I, I had an older brother, and and he was um, he was good at a lot of things, but um, taking responsibilities was not one of was not at the top of his list. Uh, he went on to finish high school and everything, but I, I I had to drop out. When you dropped out and started caddying mm-hmm. full time, how long before you started caddying at Augusta National? Okay, I I went to Augusta Country Club. Um, I started going after school, hope for a, a job shagging balls. Guys, golfers getting off from work or whatever, come out and hit some balls before they go home, and was making a you know a dollar here. Or, you know, if I made two dollars, that was a good evening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a dollar went a lot farther that day, those days. But and then um, I did that until I was thirteen. Just one day walking back from the golf course because it was slow at the country club. The caddy master at the Augusta National needed caddies, and it was his thing to drive the neighborhood and looking for caddies. You know, to, to put on bags at when they were busy and. He asked me that I wanted to go, and I said yes. And I was able to make some money until the club closed uh, in May, the end of May. Then the next season, I was looking forward to it <laughs> because I made some good money, those, you know, catting more, you know, water 18 holes. And, and for those that don't know, Augusta National closes during the summer. Right, correct. So end of May to about the beginning of October. October. Okay, they are open at some, you know, the first or second week in October. And I was, I, I did both things. At school, I was a good student. I was um, able to, uh, the teacher allowed me to be captain of the patrol boys. And then they put me over the after school to clean up the lunchroom with the crew, you know, a few other boys with me and uh, uh, do that. And principal paid us a stipend at the end of the week and but it just wasn't enough so I finally had to drop out and it killed me because I had to walk from my between my house and the golf course was school <laughs> and it was tough walking across those playgrounds I right mean, I mean I wanted to be in school and I that worked until the dress code came in and segregation all that and we was required to have a uniform type, you know, certain type of clip, uh, shirt and pants, and we couldn't afford it. So I started the ninth grade, the first day of school. That was time to ride the bus downtown to school. And one day I got off the bus and I had <laughs> strained up some a pair of pants, a pair of slacks, and a shirt. And when I got off that bus, you know, I mean, it's funny now, but the kids laughed so hard at me, you know, I. I knew I was not going back the next day, and and I went on from there. So you get the job at Augusta National, and you're caddying there. The caddy mm-hmm. master, luckily, was driving the neighborhood and finds you uh-huh. and asks if you want to come over there, and you're like, yeah, yes, I do. You mm-hmm. you knew then how exclusive that club was, did oh, you not? Oh, yeah. It was really just something above Augusta Country Club and the other courses that but yeah, it was. I mean, it was just a different world. You're at Augusta National, and back then, when the tour pros came in to play in the Masters tournament, uh-huh. they had to use Augusta National caddies. Yes, exactly. What is your recollection of the first time 
you were at Augusta National during the Masters. Just just having my fourteenth um, birthday, and um, Billy Burke is the, you know, he was it was a professor, you know, he was just uh, in his retired time now, and he was there for two days, and he assigned me to Billy Burke, and in those days, uh, I mean, Billy Burke. Uh, Wore his clothes like Payne stood. Payne stood where his, where his clothes like Billy Burke did. So mm-hmm. Billy Burke played with a starch white shirt and a necktie every day. He just came up. He treated me like, um, you know, he treated me very respectful, like, you know, uncle or someone, a father figure. And and um, in those days, the caddies had to go out in the in the practice field to shag balls. And, I mean, it was a dangerous area. I was that, yeah. And he decided, you know, hey, we we just gonna go, you know, play a few holes and, you know, work it out like that. And then he, just, you know, tournament started, and he decided he was, hey, I'm gonna show you how to move around and how to get around when these pros, when we are playing with these pros, you just follow me and just just do what I tell you. And that worked out really well. He got me started, and you know, the next next Masters, I was ready for all that. Whose bag were you on the next Masters? Um, an amateur named Downing Gray, and he's from. He lives in Florida, and he was a he was a top amateur in his during his era, and um, we got along good. When did you finally get paired up with Ben Crenshaw? The nineteen seventy six Masters, and um, Ben had already played a few Masters, and as an amateur. Um, Two or three masters. He had already played, and he had a friend of mine on his on his you know caddying for him. But a good friend. I mean, we were really good friends, and he never played golf or anything. But he came out to make money uh, or to gamble <laughs> in the caddy house. And uh, I'll tell you, he was king of the caddy house. We laugh about Luke to this day. Jack Stevens and another member got together. That the other member knew Ben and. They felt like Ben just needed more experience, and by that time, um, I was considered um, upper level caddy. And Mister Stevens, uh, in hindsight, would go on to win four Jamarees that at Augusta. Wow! And we we did it with the, you know we did it because he was a great putter for our twelve thirteen handicapper, and they got together and talked it over with Ben, and you no know, Ben was happy with Luke. But he decided to give it a try. Sure enough, we finished the second to Raymond Floyd that year, and the rest is history. I was going to say the rest is history. You almost pulled off a victory that first time that you were on his bag, but you finished, like you said. Yeah, I mean, Raymond Floyd, I mean, he was in a zone that he was a tough character at any time. 1984, Ben Crenshaw wins his first Masters. Mm -hmm. What do you remember about that week? in that tournament? I would say this first. I had dreamed that of the win. I dreamed of, had to dream several times, and I knew in the dream that uh, where his his approach shot would be on the 72nd hole. And the way it unfolded, you know, a couple of doubts. That, okay, maybe this dream, but, I mean, it worked out exactly that way. What I remember most being was, I mean, it was just in the slot, putter stroke and all. I mean, it was putter in the transition like it was reverse 
inside mm-hmm. and, and back to the ball. I mean, and he was just putting really great. And I was always serious, but I was more, more excited about, you know, what could possibly happen. Ben has a different caddy when he's playing in tour events then. And when he comes to Augusta, he uses you. Yes. 1984, he wins his first Masters. Uh-huh. 1995. Yes. Some are saying it was magical because of everything that Ben had to go through that week. Yes. The death of his mentor, Harvey Pinnock. Correct. Down in Austin, Texas. Yes. He flies back to Austin. Yes. during practice rounds mm-hmm. and comes back to Augusta National. Walk me through the first couple of days. Ben was in shambles. We didn't, uh, the first practice round after the night before they went through dealing with uh, Mr. Penix's death, Ben came out and we played nine holes. And I would all from the eighth part five to to the ninth fairway, I always give Ben the drive and take a shortcut. Mm-hmm. And just looking back, as the group was teeing off, Ben was the last to hit, and he was all out of position. You know, I sort of say it out loud, you know, through Gary, people standing around. Ben, you look like you're playing hockey. He hit his drive, and and as I was walking to the ball, I realized I, he was so out of position. I, You realized you had to say something. I had to say something, yeah. And I suggested to Ben, I said, Ben, I, you know, I think I saw something while you was teeing off back there, and and uh, I think instead of going to back nine, we should go to go to the practice range. Ben agreed right off. You know, it was it was not good. And when we went to the practice range, and I about what I saw and suggested how he might made my suggestion of how I think he should fix it, and just a couple of things. And he tried it, and and uh, he said, in hindsight again, he said the third ball I knew that I had found. It. So he goes back to the practice range on your suggestion. Uh-huh. And after the third ball he hit there, he yes. found what he was missing. Yes. He was back in posture and a good turn off the ball. That's what we worked on. I mean, that's what we did the rest of that day. We practiced until it was time for him to go to go to, go to the funeral. And at the funeral, I, I learned that he was so sure that he told his dad and his brother, Carl found something. I'm, you know, I feel like I got a chance to win. He came back excited, and that Wednesday I was at the course all day. I couldn't wait to see, you know, if you know if that was going to stick. That lesson, you know, we can call it a lesson or suggestion, or whatever, but it was going to stick in the first round, uh, the first few holes. It it was there, and we got me got it in on the park. So the dream was hopeful and everything again. That's the second dream. <laughs> That's a pretty solid opening, right? That's pretty solid. Yeah, well, yeah, for him, period. So that's on Thursday. Then you get to Friday. Uh-huh. And that's the day you want to stay right where you are. You don't want to screw up or anything. You want to stay right where you are because you know you're going to make the cut. Yes. And How did Friday go? Ben was um, in his zone. As the years before, you're always looking for, at the wrong time, a drive going astray off the tee. That was that was his boogaboo, if you want and that hadn't happened. It did not. It did not happen. And and, um, and I, my mode was the, uh, you know, people, the gallery reminded Ben of Mr. Pennick and everything. And my my job then was to keep him focused. 
you know, from one shot to the next, you know. It was sort of melancholy, whatever you want to call it, that mood. He was focused on his game, and the swing was there. The tempo was there and all that. So after two rounds, he is tied for fourth with David Frost and Phil Mickelson at minus seven, mm-hmm. 137. Mm-hmm. Then comes Saturday. Saturday mm-hmm. at Augusta is known as moving day. Moving day. Yep. He moved. He moved. All right. Up the scoreboard. Yes. Mm-hmm. Take me through Saturday. Saturday, I mean, it, it was the same thing. Um, if you go to the back of my mind, if you could go to the back of my mind, I'm terrified waiting on that driver driver to go, you know, cause us some trouble. And it didn't happen. <laughs> Just keeping him focused and, you know, we getting together. On, I was fully into his game. We worked out the club selections together and, and the putts. And Saturday night, I can't go to sleep. No, I bet. I bet. Not after he shoots a 69 and he's 10 under par. He's tied for the lead with Brian Henniger. Uh-huh. And he's one shot ahead of Fred Couples, who had already won a Masters, Steve Elkington, mm-hmm. Jay Haas, Scott Hoke, and Phil Mickelson, who was looking for his first Masters at the time. Yes. Yes. Okay, so you can't sleep on Saturday. Yes, I mean. Sunday at Augusta. Yeah, they man. say the tournament starts on number 10, the back nine. Yeah. Walk me through that walk from nine to 10 when you guys are right up there at the top of the leaderboard. I mean, being as the golfer was there, he, he, he was never, I never saw fear in his game. I mean, things happen, you know, you know, his problem came in his swing at times, but I never saw fear, and my focus was I'm not. I don't want to be the one that make the mistake. I make a mistake. Were you nervous? No, I couldn't afford to be my nervous. I would be nervous Monday morning if I if if my rent is due and I don't have the money. (laughs) I'm dead. I'm nervous. (laughs) I can understand that. Yeah. So you tee off ten, and you play ten, eleven. I mean, everybody knows Amen Corner is a difficult stretch, specifically. Anytime it's difficult, but specifically on Sunday when the nerves really start to creep in. Yes. You guys par 11, you par 12, Mm -hmm. and then you get on 13, the par 5. He's Mm -hmm. 12 under par. He's leading by one over Davis Love the third. Yeah. You birdie 13. Yes. Yes. But I'm going to go back to number 11. When Ben hit his drive, uh, hit his drive, and I'm already out there uh, waiting. You know, I took the shell cut. I went through the trees instead of the tee. And I'm out there. And when Ben gets out there, Greg Norman is doing something on 14, and David Love is doing something. I mean, it might have been vice versa. Norman birdied 13 and 15. Yeah. But they, the crowd, I mean, right. that's, you that's, can hear it. That's what the noise is now. Right. And then, then I, I, I do an eye check on Ben. You know, I say, oh, you know, we got, you know, we in Amen Corner now. And we got. I mean, he was focused. He was he was focused, and and then you know we went on to as Ben made part to twelve. Ben goes to his ball at the drive and walks back and walks off. Now I'm 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 standing there. It's a good enough drive, and you know I'm I'm licking my chops. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know okay, you know this this forward or this forward could get us on the green here. So he walks back all the way back. To the edge of the you know, the trees uh, that separates 12T and 13th fairway part of the way, and Ben came back to the ball and decided he was going to lay up. He birdies 13, and he's 
leading by two over Davis Love the third, and then Davis Love the third birdies fourteen and fifteen to become tied yeah. with Ben Crenshaw through fifteen. Uh-huh. Davis Love the third bogeys sixteen, mm-hmm. Ben birdies sixteen. All right, two shot lead. Two shot lead. That's a big hole. Yeah, the two shot lead. That was that was that was the big you know, to to be playing last two holes playing number eighteen with a two shot lead. You've got a two shot lead, and he birdies seventeen. Davis Love the third also birdies seventeen, yeah. but you still have a two shot lead going into the last hole. Yeah. So you know, unless Davis Love the third birdies eighteen, uh-huh. all you need to do is get down in five. Yes. Take me to the tee shot on eighteen. After the birdie, um, we working it as a team. I had prepared myself. I knew what was coming next. You know, I went. This is one of the few times I went to the tee, and <clears throat> it was going to be a decision. And I just stood, there and he came and did his thing, and looked down the fairway and everything. And he said, "What you want me to hit?" I said, "Drive your golf ball." No hesitation. Drive your golf ball. That really what got us there. And he had a great drive, and to where we have an eight iron into the green before he could hit a shot. The gallery started to congratulate Ben and and, and uh, uh, broke his concentration. And he thinned that eight iron. Now, luckily, it did not go in the bunker. It's a it's a tough shot. I mean, you got to get it up over a lip. And I'm reading the live with him, you know, and it was it was a thin line. Now, Anna Palmer's on your mind. He done blasted out that trap, you know, back in 64 or something and, you know, lost the tournament, you know, by knocking it over, you know, through the green. And I made a suggestion. I said, Ben just hit it into the mound, and it worked out. <laughs> it, it, it worked. worked out. So he hits that mm-hmm. up, used the slope yes. of the 18th green, and then he missed the par putt, but he had a tap in for bogey, and he won by one. When he knocked the putt in, I um, went to give the pin to Chris. Chris was at the back of the green, and I give Chris the pin. Chris said, Carl, get the, get the flag. That's your souvenir. Get the flag. So, uh, you know, I don't come back now from the back of the green to get to Ben. He's bent over the, down there. And and I talked to him about, you know, are you all right? And he was, ben was boo-hooing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's how that, that just happened. And it was, I don't know what you, I don't know what the word is for, deja vu. It's a popular photo to this day. Very popular. Yes. You embraced him. Yeah. He was boo-hooing on your shoulder. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, I, I remember. We've got to take a pause. We'll have more with Carl Jackson on our next episode. I want to tell you about our friends at Minnows Plus real quick. Minnows Plus is a frog tog outerwear dealer. You can find frog togs at minnowsplus.com. Go see them. We're back after this. Stay with us. This is Thomas Blackman with Blackman Auctions. Me sponsoring a golf show is great irony. I've been a phenomenally bad golfer for 30 years. I don't know the difference between a penalty area and a bunker. I like it, but I'm really bad. You listen to this show and to Trey because he's a great golfer and knows the game backwards and forwards. I know auctions like Trey knows golf. I've been a professional auctioneer for 30 years. I know auctions. Trey knows golf. Listen to the correct expert. Call me to learn about auctions, not Trey. Since 1938, better auctions are Blackman Auctions. 
Minnows Plus is your local source for live bait and live well supplies. They carry the entire line of SureLife products, everything from better bait and finer shiner to no ammonia products to keep your bait and your catch thriving till you get back to the dock. They are the best source for all your private land ponds. Minnows Plus has fish food and pond fertilizer to keep your pond healthy and thriving all year long. If you own or run a bait and tackle shop and need to resupply, contact Minnows Plus and ask about their wholesale prices. Open to the public and walk-ins are welcome. Find them on the web at minnowsplus.com. Welcome back to From the Short Grass on the Tee with our weekly rule segment. Here's PGA Master Professional Adam Carney. Adam, today we're talking about the ball moved by natural forces. So I've hit a shot, not on the green, I'm in the fairway, Mm -hmm. and I'm walking up to it, and all of a sudden the ball just starts taking off. I mean, maybe a gust of wind came up or something. Or let's say a dog came and picked the golf ball up or a bird. What happens? So, I mean, what you just described is two different scenarios. But, again, rules, community, verbiage, tough luck starts somewhere, right? You know, what you're talking about with the ball in the middle of the fairway, gust of wind comes up, gravity takes over, whatever it may be, you know, you're going to be required to play the ball from its new position. Um, If the ball's in the middle of the fairway and that ball just teeters and just rolls down the hill into the into a penalty area you know Tough say, say a red penalty area you know you're going to have to proceed under that rule it's just kind of how it happens now when you start talking about a dog or a bird or a spectator or something like that you know now you've got a ball that was at rest that was moved by uh, an outside agency so you're going to be able to replace that ball Um, if it's known exactly where that ball was you're going to you'd be able to place it if it's not precisely known you're going to estimate and drop it but we've had that happen you know uh, identifying a golf ball has changed a lot Mm -hmm. um you know, it, it used to be in order to identify a golf ball that I physically had to go up and say, yes, that is that is my golf ball. I'm playing a whatever, a, a title is Pro V1, number one. It says bops on the side, and, and I've got an, a red dot, you know, here. That is absolutely my golf ball. Well, now, you know, I can hit a shot and see the ball come to rest on the green and say, okay, that's my golf ball. And then we, by the time we get to the green, my ball's gone. I identified my golf ball back here. So it's one of those things where through the green, anywhere on the golf course, except for, you know, the penalty areas and the bunkers, if the ball moves and changes positions, you can play from the new position. The change and exception is the putting green. If I hit a shot onto the putting green and then an outside agency wind or gravity or something like that causes my ball to move, the determining factor now is have I lifted my ball and replaced it and then subsequently the ball moves. If I have not, I'm going to play from the new position. But if I have I'm going to replace the ball back to where it was without penalty. So that's a bit of a change. Mm -hmm. That's actually a pretty large change. I think a lot of that change came from the RNA and Open Championships because, I mean, I I don't think there's, I I don't want to, create a dispute but i think the best players in the world play on the pga tour and, and is predominantly played in the united states and they're used to playing on extremely fast greens i mean you look at the the courses on the open road uh, i don't know if even at tournament competitions cannot reach green speeds anywhere near what players that play on the pga tour are playing and and i think the rna wants to have green speeds as high as they can well the problem is you know we're playing a british open at carnoustie or or st andrews or true or turnberry over on the west coast where there's even more wind you you get in a position now where you have those speedy greens and it can be flat and the wind can move the ball and prior to this rules change we were in a position where tough luck starts somewhere you know right. now that rules changed and i think probably for the, for the good 
you know, um, and, and a lot of it is driven by golf courses wanting to create the best challenge they can for the best players in the world. But it seemed unfair when they set conditions up like that to, you know, be in a position where now they're going to be penalized at some of the world's greatest golf courses in Scotland, England, and Ireland because, you know, we're trying to get green speeds up to make it a tougher test. So it's definitely a change, and I think I think it's a change for the good. Let's say that ball is hit onto the green, and before I can get up there to mark it, it rolls into the hole. Well, then you're considered that that shot was hold. Correct. But if I get up there, I mark it, I lift it, clean it, hand it to the caddy, whatever, mm-hmm. put it back down, pull the coin out, and then it rolls into the hole. Bad luck starts somewhere. Right. So prior to you this put rules it back. change, now, now keep in mind that scenario, the second scenario you gave, the ball always has to be at rest first. If you lift the ball, clean it, replace it, now the ball has to be at rest before motion begins. Sure. It can't just, I placed it down and then the ball started rolling because the ball was never at rest, so it was never quote-unquote replaced. But if it is at rest and you've marked it and cleaned it and the ball rolls down into the hole, that actually happened in the U.S. Amateur back when I was an amateur player to a guy named Chris Patton. He repairs the ball mark, places the ball down, ball comes to rest, um, and it's sitting at rest for several seconds. All of a sudden it just takes off, rolls down the hill into the hole. That's a one. Now with the new rules change, once he's lifted that golf ball, he's going to be required to replace that golf ball. That's a change, and I think probably for the best. I think once you get your hands on the ball, the ball needs to be played from the position that it was in when you lifted it. Um, if you haven't touched the ball, it's a different story. He's Adam Carney. If you have a question on the rules of golf, email us from the shortgrass at gmail.com. Our thanks to Adam Carney, as always, for his golf expertise. Don't forget, part two of my sit-down with Carl Jackson will come your way in our next episode. We leave you with a couple of golf quotes. Golf is played by 20 million mature American men whose wives think they are out having fun. That from Jim Bishop. And golf's three ugliest words, steal your shot. That from Dave Marr. I hope you have fun and stay hydrated on the golf course when you're out. And remember, always repair your ball marks and a couple of more, and I'll see you from the short grass. You've been listening to From the Short Grass, a weekly podcast dedicated to the game of golf. From the Short Grass is brought to you by MinnowsPlus.com and Blackman Auctions. This has been a presentation of the Buzz Radio Network.